Hey, Sarah. Yes, Alex. What do you think is like the hardest thing about me going out on dates? Uh, when you come back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah. I'm queer. I'm non-monogamous. I write stuff. I therapize people. (laughs) And I'm her husband, Alex. Uh, No one really understands what I do. And you know what? I like it that way. And I'm Jessica here producing resident monogamist fun employed semi-fun employed right now i don't know if the semi applies to the fun or the employed part i'll let you all think about that one (laughs) so alex uh i hear you're abandoning your family next weekend uh excuse me (laughs) today is a very special episode of mistakes for me alex is abandoning me found out about my plans to abandon my family um i assume you're referring to the planned trip that I have to go and visit one of my partners who's been away for several months that I uh, have had on the books for weeks and that you consented to many times. Is that what you mean by I'm abandoning? Yes, that's another way you could describe it. Um, It's longer. It's wordier. Uh, I don't think that it has quite the punch, but sure. It doesn't carry the same. Same emotional weight. Cultural stigma, you might (laughs) say. Yes. Um, Yeah, there's a a better embedded kind of cultural story in abandoning your family, running away to San Diego uh, (laughs) with another woman. I think that actually, oh, didn't that happen in E.T.? It's actually at the beginning of E.T. They were talking about how uh, the dad ran away. Well, what I remember about that is uh, that the mom finds out that the dad went to Mexico with his new girlfriend, whose name is Sally. I remember this really well. Because, like, as a kid, I was always listening for the adult content in movies like that. Uh And I'm like, oh, there's something interesting happening here. Um, And the mom goes... But he hates Mexico and runs out of the room crying. Am yeah. I remembering this yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds right. Uh, so that's will be me that's, next yes. week, weekend. And you know how like in ET, then there's a shot of her like standing at the sink and she's supposed to be doing dishes and like the steam is billowing up from the hot water and there's just like tears pouring yeah. down her face. Also, me next weekend. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Well, I wish you luck with that. Hopefully an alien comes and uh, touches your hearts and teaches you about the true meaning of life and goodness. And you learn more about the um, people right here on Earth that are closest to you. You can count on it. By an extraterrestrial. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, yes. uh, Why are we talking about this? Uh... Because today, oh. we're talking about the experience of a partner leaving to spend time with another partner. And specifically about how the leaving and the coming back together and sort of everything that happens in between. But especially that the leaving and coming back together can be this point of anxiety and also a point of conflict for a lot of couples. And it certainly has been for us uh, in the past and something that we still sometimes struggle with. So it seemed like a, a good thing to talk about. I know that a ton of the relationships that I work with in my practice, a lot of the people I work with, this is something that we talk about a lot. So yeah. it seemed relevant. Mm-hmm. Timely for us as well. Yes, totally. Um, and like, yeah, so do you think that's like, it's mainly about 
Like, is this an episode about jealousy specifically, or is it about, is it something else? I mean, you know, the more that we explore non-monogamy and talk about it on this podcast, and I think about it as a therapist, I realize that the term jealousy is like not very nuanced. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like when we say jealous, like, what are we talking about? Right. Sure. Part of it is going to be that I'm jealous that you're going on a trip and I'm not going on a trip. And part of it might be that I feel jealous that you're going to be spending like romantic, intimate time with someone who isn't me. And part of it might be that I'm jealous that you're not going to have to hang out with the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And... You know, there's like, there's all this stuff in there. Like, part there's feelings that I have about telling people where you are uh, and like their reactions to mm-hmm. that. And that's so not, like shame, more shame, than jealousy. Maybe yeah. more than jealousy. Um, there's uh, just like the feeling of knowing that like a primary attachment figure and a person that I co-parent with and that like I just kind of like co-regulate with and figure out my life with and I'm you know casually regularly physically intimate with is going to be gone and doing a lot of that stuff with somebody else mm-hmm. yeah um, and so like there's just I mean jealousy is a word that is in there but I feel like there are a lot a lot of other yeah. emotions and words in there too so this is like an experience that's pretty fundamental to the practice of non-monogamy or polyamory like by nature your partner is going to be going and spending time with other partners um and but like yeah it feels like we haven't really talked about in the past that much like what is that actual experience like the actual like they're gonna like say goodbye (laughs) i'm leaving to go on this date or to go on this trip and then like you're gonna have the experience of like the time when they're not there and you know that we're there with that other partner and then they're gonna come back and be like Hello, I'm back. <laughs> and there's all of those different like kind of touch points or those different uh, experiences where you're going to have feelings. And people on both sides, the person who's like staying behind and the person who's leaving are going to have uh, complex feelings that, yeah, are obviously like there's more to it than just like jealousy does not begin to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like patterns that I've noticed here. I mean, with myself and with clients, I would say of like kind of emotional detachment that starts before the separation Mm -hmm. as people kind of like prepare themselves for the separation. And then there can be some like anxiety that results from that. Uh uh, If that makes sense. Like people are being, I often hear clients describe like their partner is like seeming more cold and less interested in them Uh as the separation sort of looms. The partner who's staying behind is more cold and Mm -hmm. disinterested. Uh Yeah. And then, that there is like a fear sometimes I definitely experience this, like a fear of fighting before the person leaves. And so you're like being a little more like emotionally removed from each other because you're like trying to curate everything being just fine right, right up until the leaving, because it would make it worse if you were then separated and mm-hmm. you'd had a fight right before. Mm-hmm. Um, or what are some other things like, you know, it's not even that complicated. Like, you and I dropped our kids off at school today, right? Mm-hmm. And we all here have been children. And so there's, <laughs> I think, right? I mean, I can, <laughs> I, I got receipts on Jessica. I don't know that uh, I have receipts on you, Alex. I was actually born a completely formed adult. 
Oh, so you are. My body was smaller, but I was uh, an adult. From so birth. you were like yeah. the ET. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, was ET was a, actually a child alien, right? That is a really great question that I cannot okay. answer. Well, uh, yeah, write in and let us one. know the answer mm-hmm. to that question. We, we, I mean, E.T. was also experiencing a lot of separation anxiety, yeah, so I feel totally. like this is like a really <laughs> that good... That was like the whole thing. Phone home. Yeah, meta text yeah. for us to be working with here. Yeah. Uh, but what I was going to say <laughs> wow, is... meta text. Media, <laughs> media studies major over here. Holy right. shit. <laughs> E.T. is a meta text for polyamory. And a PhD thesis by Sarah Studio. Okay. You know what? Anyway. That's actually a great idea. Yeah. Um, when you drop kids off at school... In the lead up to dropping them off, they start freaking out a little bit mm-hmm. and like kind of beefing with you often. Mm-hmm. And then like the actual drop off, this doesn't happen all the time with our kids now, but there was a time with each of them when they would just be clinging to you uh-huh. and screaming and crying and don't go and uh-huh. I'm scared and please no, yeah. oh my God. Uh, just like absolute panic and you would just like be sort of like pulling them off uh-huh. of you uh-huh. like they were an octopus and it just yeah. like felt so just bad you know yeeting them through the door <laughs> it just felt so bad and then they would largely be totally fine and regulated mm-hmm. while you were gone and they would like do the routines of the school day and like have whole experiences and yeah. forget that you were ever even existed forget perhaps. that you ever yeah. even existed and then you would come back together and they would initially be like mommy yay I'm so glad to yeah. see you and then the countdown to five, four, three, two, one. I hate you. I'm hungry. I'm bored. You mm-hmm. know? And just like starting so much shit. Yeah. And I feel like that little, I mean, it's classic like separation anxiety. Um, it's a really common experience for kids, for people. And I think that little arc is something that I still experience when you leave in a much less infantile uh, <laughs> way, at least outwardly uh. <laughs> um and so yeah i mean that's not exactly jealousy right, right. No, there's something else yeah. that's going on yeah. there um, mm-hmm. that's worth exploring yeah it sounds like it's attachment stuff so what you're saying is this is not just a thing that happens with your clients but it's a thing that you and i experience totally as well in yeah our relationship what is it like for you or what do you notice um, it depends on which, which role you're talking about. I think we've both had the experience of being the person who's staying behind and the person who's leaving. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so I guess it, it depends, um, in which one, which one are you asking about? Either. Um, well, I guess what is present to me right now, since I'm like going on a trip, uh, is like awareness of, I mean, I think I guess there there's definitely like this sort of feeling of guilt that you're like abandoning your partner, especially when you have shared like we have a shared emotional life, but we also have shared like responsibilities. responsibilities. And so I'm like abandoning you to those responsibilities, <laughs> um, which is uh, a hard feeling that is kind of like I mean, this is like an interesting situation because uh, I just went on. Another trip also. <laughs> a couple so weeks this ago. is the second abandoning. Yes, yeah, so this is the second the second abandoning. The first abandoning was uh, not anything related to non-monogamy. It was like a, a creative retreat with um, people who I'm not romantically involved with. Um, there's a spiritual 
bromance perhaps involved, but yeah, I was going to say, don't say, <laughs> don't say not at all romantically involved with, because I think that would be wrong. Okay. I don't want to say too much, but don't worry. None of them listen to this podcast. <laughs> they probably <laughs> they don't. don't <laughs> uh, but that's a whole other story. Um, anyway, but, uh, so yeah, thinking about the differences between, you know, the, I think all of that stuff was kind of there in that case as well. Like the, the like responsibility and like, you know, I've, I'm kind of like, it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to like kind of cut loose and have fun and fully enjoy freedom the way that I do when I go away with you Mm -hmm. or like go out on a date with you. And I'm like, we paid a babysitter. And like, maybe I feel like a little bit of like, Oh, I hope the kids are doing okay. But for the most part, I'm like enjoying together that, you know, that sense of freedom. You don't have to experience a sort of duality of joy and experience and pleasure and a kind of like guilt. Yeah. And when I'm away with somebody else, then, you know, who's not you, then I'm like, oh, I know that Sarah's carrying all of those responsibilities. And, like, that makes me feel a little bit. I mean, I don't know. There's, like, the guilty feeling. And then there's also, like, the, um, I mean, guilt is a very, like, internal feeling. I think there's also, like, uh, I also pity you. Uh, great. That's great. <laughs> no, I don't know what the right word for it is, but you know, it's like, <laughs> um, I know what it feels like to be in that position. And it's like, it's not like it's terrible or anything like that, but you know, there's I like, I feel like we should do a hard cut. Like, cause Jessica is around when you go away on a trip and I'm yeah. with kids and you're like, and I just know that you're struggling and I'm pitying you. And then there's like a hard cut to me and Jessica taking the kids to Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> and like going on the roller coaster and eating McDonald's like five times. Today, like buying Squishmallows, right. like they're uh, you know going out of style. It's like a montage of you guys doing blow in the Chuck E. Cheese bathroom, and, like riding roller coasters, and, and I'm like, yeah, there's a lot uh, of suffering. Uh, it's terrible, just terrible quiet, suffering. Yeah, just folding laundry until the wee hours of home. the morning, baking yeah. wheat bread, <laughs> baking wheat bread. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then all the wheat bread's gone when they get back. It's so weird. Yeah, well, they swear that's all they did. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, there's that piece. And then I'm trying to think like when when it's like a romantic or like, a you know, uh, a date or a trip with a partner. Um, I don't know about like the extra stuff is like around like care, I think. And like the feeling that like um, what is hard about this for you um, and, you know, kind of like awareness of that and then like trying to figure out how to um how to like be there for that but also be okay with it be okay with it i guess yeah Mm -hmm. and i guess that the second part is hard for me Mm -hmm. you know and it's very easy to take your partner's feelings about a thing that you do and not turn that into a self-referential feeling yeah right Mm. Like, I am the cause of this hard feeling that you're having. And so that makes it harder to, like, hold that feeling uh, with you rather than feel defensive about it. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like the conundrum of maybe relationships in general. Yeah, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I So I'm thinking about, like, way earlier, maybe even before you guys had opened up your marriage but like we had friends who were a couple who had an open marriage and I remember 
you like I was so curious like how does it work whatever and I remember I think you telling me Sarah that like one rule they had was that like you couldn't like leave your partner home babysitting when you went out on a date is this ringing a bell huh leave your partner home babysitting yeah like you which like now thinking about it I'm just like how would you be a married couple with children and do that. Right? Oh, like they would have to <laughs> Like be they would out have to also? get a babysitter and both be out doing different things or something like that. It's just, it's funny because I think when I first heard that, I was like, oh, well, obviously, because that, that hmm. would be so unfair. Right. And then now that I've had some time to. Yeah. I think that's starting to speak to, or like your perspective, your perspective on that back then is starting to speak to like some of the, um, the like, external judgments about non-monogamy that are really easy to like buy into kind of instinctually because of society or whatever. (laughs) Like that makes sense. Like sort of if you're just like, yeah, this is sort of fundamentally wrong. So of course the idea that like you would be at home taking care of like a small baby while your partner was out gallivanting around town is like too much to bear. Mm -hmm. And then, so there should be some workaround for that, which would be like getting a babysitter. And you can kind of be like, yeah, totally. That makes sense. Like, but then like once you take away that part that like it's objectively just sort of too much to bear because it's just like wrong, then mm-hmm. it makes a lot less sense. And you're like, you're wasting a lot of fucking money on babysitters. Right. <laughs> right? And it's like creating also this false sense of sort of like fairness mm. being both of you doing the exact same thing at the exact same time all the time. Right. I think fairness is a big one here and I've like, I have so much to say about it, (laughs) but it's almost mm, definitely with clients. If I hear there's like this real intense emphasis on fairness, I just am like, y'all, I absolutely understand why you're talking about that. And I can absolutely promise you it's not going to work. Like, that's the wrong tool for the job. Um, Fairness, the idea that, like, one person will do one thing and then the other person will do the other thing or they'll do it at the same time or uh, there will be this kind of tallying of activities and it will always balance out. Like, the balance sheet will stay (laughs) in the black or whatever. It just never works. And the instinct to do that, I think, in general in non-monogamy... Definitely once you're non-monogamous and parenting is really, really strong. Uh, And maybe is somewhat informed by what you were just describing, Alex, that this is inherently seen as something that is bad. And so we're constantly doing a lot of extra labor to try and like mitigate what we see as like immoral or unethical or sort of inexcusable about it. And fairness is one of the things that we think might help. Uh, Yeah. But yeah. I'm curious, why do you think that doesn't work? Like, why do you advise... I mean, I guess based on, like, seeing it not work, but, like, do you think there's a sort of fundamental reason? I mean, (laughs) zooming way out, it might be that I don't think fairness exists. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh So, I don't know. Okay, zoom back in a little more. Okay, I'll zoom back in a little more. Uh, I think it's because people are not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And the world is a complex place and relationships by definition involve other people and polyamorous no, relationships yeah. involve multiple other people. And so the material is too organic and too nuanced and too like complex and mercurial for the idea of fairness for that tool to be effective. Like we're not talking about 
M&Ms between my kids, right? We are talking about feelings and time and emotions and intimacy. And these can't even just be measured in terms yep. that can be meted out in equal fair ways. Yeah. Agree. Hard agree on all of that. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I was just going to, so like with trips, taking trips with a partner that is not your spouse, you, I mean, you guys have done this a few different times now. Each of you have gone on mm -hmm. trips, I think with partners. So I guess I'm curious to ask, like, how have you figured it out? You're still sitting here. You still. Yeah. Love each other very much. Well, You're still I, making a podcast about relationships. <laughs> I think the fairness thing here is pretty complicated between me and Alex on this particular one. I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't do it as much as Alex does. I don't go on trips with romantic partners as much as he does. Not to say you do it a ton, but like mm -hmm. if we were to do an accounting, it would look really different mm -hmm. between the two of us. And so I think it is tempting to get into that like, it's not fair or he should do less or I should do more. And certainly like I sometimes feel like our community is aware of this balance sheet and is sometimes employing it at different points <laughs> for different reasons. Um, mm -hmm. I do plenty of trips. Like I did a big creative trip um, or a creative like retreat trip with a friend that was five days over the summer um, I've done something like that almost every year for since the kids were born. Um, I once did a two-week-long writing residency when the kids were really young. Uh, I go on trips with my friends, my chosen family, uh, sometimes family members. But for me, romantic partners, trips with romantic partners have been fewer and further between. And I could get into the why on my side with that, but... I'll let you maybe respond with your thoughts about this, Alex. Um, yeah, I, I guess there was like, I heard you kind of saying a minute ago, two different things about why fairness doesn't work um, that I think are important. Like one relationship and they're related, but like relationships involve other people is like a big one, right? Mm -hmm. You can't really, if you went into it being like, it's so self-referential if you start as a couple and are like, we're going to do everything exactly on the same schedule and like make sure that everything is completely fair. It just kind of like speaks to this idea that like that's you can have the primacy of your primary partnership be really primary. There's a lot of primaries in that sentence, but, uh, <laughs> but you other people are going to be involved unless you're like hiring sex workers or whatever. You're not going to be able to like and do they're that. also people. They're all, yes, of course. But like, in theory, you could be like, and I'm going to hire a sex worker on Monday. And so you get to on Tuesday or whatever. But short of that, like as an exa exaggerated example, you know, you can't just make the world bend to your, you know, petty account of what's fair or not fair. Mm -hmm. Like there's going to be people in those relationships that are going to affect the way that they happen. And I guess the other part of, I love it when you <laughs> I was not imply, trying to imply that sex workers aren't people. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Canceled. Headline. Canceled, Let's Alex. Title, canceled. title this episode, Alex says sex workers aren't people. Um, some of my best friends are sex workers, Sarah. Okay, that's not actually true either. But um, 
the other. <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of a lot of phrases in this <clears throat> podcast so far that I feel like could go on merch for us. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> E.T. is the meta text for non-monogamy is one of them. It's society or whatever, in quotes, is another one. And all I mean, of my friends are sex workers. Might be a third. I'm using the lady who puts stuff like that on booty shorts. So you're like looking at somebody's ass and then it says like E.T. is a meta text for blah, blah, blah. No, please send it yeah, to me. Yeah, it's great. Um, great idea. Anyway, uh... The other one was that, you know, yeah, people aren't the same. So, like, trying to do that, and we were talking about that this morning, like, most, I think a lot of people's, like, strong relationships are built around complementary personalities, not, like, the same personality. So, trying to, like, go into an emotionally challenging endeavor like non-monogamy and being like, this is going to work exactly the same for both of us, uh, and we're going to want to do the same things on the same schedule. Like, I think it's quickly going to emerge in most cases that like, you don't want to do the same things on the same schedule and like things that are hard for one person are easy for the other person and vice versa. And like, you know, one person doesn't really like going on trips like that and they like doing other stuff and the other person, you know, does, and they don't like doing other stuff. And so like the accounting doesn't work very well. Yeah, that's Um, true. But with that said, I've only gone on like two more trips than you, so I don't. Know I knew that about. was coming. <laughs> Not that you're counting. <laughs> Not that I'm counting, but I took a tally here on my note sheet. I, w- I was wondering what those little hash marks were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always curious, like sort of how you establish sort of rules or guidelines. Like, how do you decide? I don't know. Not that again, we're not like counting. There's no scale. I guess, apparently, <laughs> you don't have an allotment of a certain number of, you know, vacation days <laughs> per year that you're allowed to take with another partner. But like, like, how do you make those kind of decisions in the in the first place? How do you how do you figure it out? You know, I mean, big picture, I would say both of us, if one of us comes to the other one and says there's something that we want to do, you and I seem to share the value that we want to try and make it possible. I think, and I think in that sense, we have, you know, we never use the word compersion on this podcast, which is mm. funny mm-hmm. uh, because it's a podcast about non-monogamy. Mm. Yeah. But can I'm, you oh. tell us what that means just real quick? Compersion is the idea that you can take pleasure in your partner's pleasure or someone else's pleasure that you experience genuine pleasure there. And I have always felt resistant towards that term because it, I felt judged by it. Um, mm. I feel like, I feel judged by a lot of terms in non-monogamy, I'm realizing, <laughs> and a lot of books and a lot of memes and a lot of, so I'm hmm. insecure. What I'm realizing right now is I'm insecure. Uh, okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, and I think that I just was like, I'll never be able to experience that because it's too hard. Like the attachment stuff, the jealousy, like the fear, it's too difficult and I'm never going to get there. But there are ways that I am there and we are kind of naturally there that are easy for us. And so we don't think about it. And I think Mm. this is one of those, like Mm -hmm. over the course of our relationship and especially more and more, uh, I can't think of a time that one of us has come to the other and said, there's something I really want to try and do. And the other person wasn't like, I really want to help you do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think there's, there's a bit of a transformation in understanding from like, I think a few years ago when we started doing, and did more overnight trips with partners. 
there was a little bit more of a like keeping up, keeping track kind of thing going on. And like, you know, one of us would decide to do it. And then the other one would kind of be like, okay, well now I can because you did. And then like, you know, it would sort of be kind of tracked in that way. Um, And I, I definitely think now, I mean, partly we kind of decided, well, we don't necessarily like as a general core value in our relationship or in like our practice of, non-monogamy like doing that that much or perhaps that was kind of like you saying I'm not really getting that much out of doing this right Um, at the height of that we were doing weekly overnights both of us mm, so at any given week one of us would be out at least one time overnight Mm -hmm. and then there was also trips and then there were also like other partners sometimes so there was just like a there was a lot of activity mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and there was a lot of us being apart. And yeah. I think mm-hmm. like what we kind of came to was not that any of those things were off the table. If that was ever important or something that someone wanted to do back to that bigger value that we would want to make that happen. But that as a, just like, this is the norm of how we practice it. It felt really hectic mm-hmm. um, and complicated. And I think I'll speak for myself. I felt like we were having a harder time just finding time for our relationship and being together. Um, Mm -hmm. And that didn't feel good. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree with that. It can kind of feel like a race to the bottom or I guess a race to the top of doing more of that stuff in, you know, if you're just always kind of tallying like, oh, well, this person is doing this, so then I can do that. And then, you know you end up just doing a lot. And I think we kind of did that. Yeah. And the combination of that and trying to like appease what we thought that our partners wanted. Mm. And this is definitely something I'm guilty of, of kind of like assuming that my part- other partners always want more. Mm. And then like, just kind of like, I think this was like an early sort of fundamental mistake that I made in non-monogamy of just being like, they're always going to want more and I'm always going to not be doing enough. So wherever there's space to do more in those relationships, like the way that I can like earn people's love or whatever is by like showing up more. And so like obscure how unavailable I am and, you know, do a lot of stuff Mm. and like Mm -hmm. not have the boundaries that I have. And I think for me, you know, as we've talked about on this podcast before, I um, I have a lot of long, low arc relationships in my life, and that is how I build trust with people. Hmm. I, when I come to trust people, I trust them really deeply, hmm. and I am incredibly loyal, and I am very vulnerable in those relationships, and they are extremely meaningful to me. And that trust and that intimacy does not come quickly for me. Mm-hmm. And when I try and do it too soon or too often with someone where I just don't actually have that trust built up yet, it is the opposite of relaxing. It feels really stressful. Um, and I, I think I had gotten to a point with some of the overnights and the trips where I was out of touch with what actually felt good and connective to me mm-hmm. and where I felt relaxed and where I was just like stretching myself and my nervous system endlessly trying to keep up with what I thought was how you were supposed to do this, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, this is just all making me think about something in my own relationship, monogamous as it may be. <laughs> like, 
I just keep having this idea that like we really need to establish like how like how much is okay for like me to go out and be doing something well. Curtis stays at home and, you know, and I just keep thinking like it should be once a week or it should be once a month or whatever, whatever. And like, if we just figure out that number, then it'll be settled. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. It'll be figured out. And I'm, it's just really making me realize how much that is like a shortcut for whatever the underlying like issue is that we really need to figure out and make sure that we're on the same page about. And it's not really about how many nights per week or month or year I go out with my mm-hmm. friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Huh. laughs> yeah. It's not about quotas necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I, that is so tempting. And I, mm-hmm. and I know we like talk a lot about containers and expectations in non-monogamy. I think that is important. Like there are boundaries and containers and like ways that we co-create relationship and we talk about what works for us. And like, sometimes that might be, routine around how often you go out or what you do or don't do. Um, But we have to also just be like flexible and understand that most conflict is not actually about the thing you're fighting about. Right. I mean, it's not actually about the logistics. It's about the feelings. It's yeah, exactly. I mean, in therapy, they talk about how anger, for example, is often a secondary emotion that is typically covering up fear or sorrow and sadness, Mm. I would say. And so that's one of the things I think about with conflict between people is like the anger is valid and I don't want to invalidate anger. I think that it's a really important emotion and very real, but sometimes it can be a cover for something else more kind of like subterranean that is happening that, that people are avoiding. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, you'd been doing some late night internet research. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I believe Alex is our Reddit correspondent for the podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And you were just like digging up some stories or like requests for help or experiences that people had shared on some of the online forums from Polyamory about how hard the leaving, the coming back and the experience in between can be, especially early on. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have to dig. It's honestly, like, on, like, the non-monogamy Reddit, I swear, like, every other post is, like, a new person being, like, I thought I was totally cool with this, but then now my partner's on their first date and I'm totally freaking out. It's, like, a very common experience, I Mm -hmm. think, that, like, almost everybody has. Um, And, you know, sometimes I think some people kind of, like, say that it goes away, but uh, it's, I think, a thing that, like, almost everybody or like a lot of people are experiencing and like seeking advice on. Um, And so I thought it was kind of interesting to like dig into some of that, like what is some of the advice and maybe like share a little bit of like kind of what we do, Mm -hmm. not that it's perfect, um, but like, yeah. So here's one person saying like, uh, I opened up my relationship with my long-term partner and consistently have panic attacks when they're on dates. I do want non-monogamy logically, but my body goes into fight or flight panic, nausea, the works. How long did you, if you did experience this, does it go away? What tools did you use to help with it? It's hard on my physical health and immune system. Mm. Um, Can I just, I'm like looking over your shoulder and the title of that post is, when do the panic attacks go away? Yeah. 
Yeah, mm. which it's, is like yeah. intense. And yeah, so like people want there to be a a fix. And then they also feel like there's something wrong with them. This mm-hmm. is another one. My wife had her first solo date last night and my insecurities are getting the be- getting the better of me. How do I deal with it? Um, mm. And I guess like just to get into some of the like things that people say. So in this one, it's like one of the responses. I like to plan a bunch of special stuff for myself that I don't tend to do when my partner's home. I'll get takeout from a place he doesn't like, watch a show he's not into, eat potato chips in the bathtub, <laughs> let the dogs on the bed um, to distract myself and also as something positive to look forward to when he's away. Hmm. I would point out that that person is responding to something. That response is not to the scale of the question and concern. Mm-hmm. You know, so one of the mm. things that I kind of notice when this comes up for people is like if you experience attachment panic or separation anxiety, people who don't experience that telling you what they do can feel really <laughs> alienating. Mm-hmm. Like someone is having panic attacks. Right. They are terrified. They're having a, a neurolog- neurosystem response to mm. what is happening. And people are like, get yourself a special meal. It's like, okay. <laughs> Take those yeah. potato chips right in the right bath. Right into the bathtub. Yeah. And I'm like, get crazy, girl. Okay, so that is spoken like someone who does not have that response mm-hmm. to a partner going on a date. Um, yeah. And it makes, me, like, it makes me feel a lot of feelings. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll let you continue, but I just kind of wanted to point mm-hmm. that out, that if mm-hmm. you're sensing that there's a mismatch there, I think it's because there is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so this is a, uh, one, another response. Uh, at first, I would distract myself with housework and exercise, but that wasn't changing how I felt, and I was stopping my wife from having a good time. She could see me struggling and hated it and would ruin the good vibes she came home with. Um, so, yeah, they're kind of, like, acknowledging the, you know, the way that it, impacts the other partner as well and like trying to figure out how to deal with that like you know like do you share that with your other partner do you share it with someone else um and that's really hard too because for the partner who's not experiencing it and is maybe like being is able to access like a little easier joy and pleasure in non-monogamy there's a lot of guilt that comes with that mm -hmm. and it's a lot for them to navigate too and so I just want to acknowledge that that does happen on, on both sides. Yeah. You know, there are things that are hard there. And I'm reading from two separate ones here and kind of mixing them. But like, uh, here's another person saying, don't dump your insecurities on her. Give it at least 24 hours before you share your side of the night. Let her enjoy her feelings, the feelings she's having right now. Go take a walk. Do something active. Don't sit with your thoughts. If it helps you, write them out, but don't share them. If you share too many negatives in the beginning, it can sour and kill future activity. And then somebody else said, you can also call a friend and dump on them. Um, which again, like to your point, I think this is like these well-meaning responses are kind of like belittling yeah. the level of emotional intensity of like the the feelings and yeah. This is it a little bit of an aside, but I <laughs> it reminds me of when I had postpartum depression, mm-hmm. and people would talk to me about how having a new baby was hard in terms that felt like they were from a different planet. Mm. You know, I'm like felt like I was struggling to stay alive. And they were like, don't forget to take a shower. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You know, it's just like when you're experiencing a really like high intensity 
emotional distress or mental health challenges. Like that stuff just falls so flat, even though it's like kind and well-meaning, but it's just like not addressing the complexity of the experience that the person is having or the acuity of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, and the expectation that like these things will, these, this level of feelings will just resolve Mm. really quickly in one of these uh, posts. It's like, you know, it's from three days ago and the, the person posts it and then they respond like literally a day later and are like, you know what? I talked it out with my friend and it's all better. <laughs> and like, I figured it out and like, you know, I'm paraphrasing what it read like to me. Like I'm a whole person now and I've yeah. transcended the feelings of jealousy and the, the panic that I was experiencing. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't know if you should expect that of yourself. Like, but like it, it is so hard because it's like on the one hand, I totally understand, you know, I have had a panic attack before in my life and I know that no amount of potato chips in the bathtub is going to like address the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I feel like so many of the things that I have easily accessible to me are, you know, of the order of potato chips in the bathtub, mm-hmm. taking a walk, you know, writing in my journal like what <laughs> what advice do i actually what do, you, have? I do. yeah mm-hmm. i mean i i think that this is where i get out my little soapbox about like therapy and attachment mm. and staying close to your feelings and believing that they have something important to tell you about yourself mm. and i know that at first glance it might be you're afraid that the important thing that they have to tell you is that you can't do non-monogamy Mm-hmm. And I want to say, as someone who has had those experiences and continues to like learn about them and orient myself around them, that is not necessarily what they mean. It can be what they mean. But often what they are telling you is that you have attachment, trauma, and wounding in your past that needs attention. And, you know, for me, when I think about the challenges around leaving and coming back together as I have done like a deeper dive into my own mental health, as I've gone to therapy, as I've become a therapist, as Alex and I have gone to therapy together, I've learned a lot about my earlier life um, and specifically experiences I had with caregivers uh, that contribute to that feeling of insecurity and fear and panic. Uh, So we started at the top of this uh, podcast talking about little kids having that separation anxiety. For some of us, you know, I I also mentioned postpartum here a moment ago. For some of us, if very early in our lives, we had the experience of a caregiver being inconsistent, our needs not being taken care of, maybe they didn't come back. Uh, Maybe they didn't come back when we asked them to. This also could happen like really, really early on in life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is not always the case, but sometimes if you have a parent who is struggling with mental health issues when you are very, very young, you can have inside your sort of nervous system this fear that your basic needs will not be taken care of, that that person maybe won't come back, that mm. that person won't come back in a consistent way. Mm. And this is like as you're developing, these first years of life are where like all of those connections are being made. And that's not to blame the caregivers. I want to be really careful mm. here in saying, they also have struggles and needed support and needed like care 
that they probably didn't get. Um, and so I just want to hold all of that at the same time. Um, there's something, if you want to get really brainy about it, there's something called object impermanence. Mm -hmm. There is a moment in development as a baby where you come to understand that if a person is not in front of you, it doesn't mean that they cease to exist or you cease to exist to them, <laughs> right? That you come to understand through like attuned, consistent caregiving, ideally, that even if your caregiver goes away, they will come back. Mm. Um, and if you cry out in a certain way, they will return. Mm. And that you can feel like some security in that. A lot of us didn't have that experience. Mm. A lot of people in this world did not have that experience. As you develop, like, do you have a parent who disappeared for long periods of time, whether emotionally or physically? Did you have a parent with an addiction? Um, did you have, like, traumatic experiences at really developmentally important moments with caregivers or people you depended on for your, like, safety? Um, I know, like, for me as a teenager... I had a huge fight with my parents. I had a really, really challenging relationship with my parents as a teen um, and left to go stay at a friend's house because we had a huge blowout. And when I tried to come back afterward, the locks on my house had been changed and I wasn't let back in. And that was effectively the last time I ever lived in my parents' house. So for me, the idea of like coming back and asking, asking to be let back in to intimacy and care is particularly charged. This is part of the things that like, I think non-monogamy, if you are willing to engage with like the feelings it brings up for you and be curious about them and not be afraid of them and not just try and fix them, they have so much to teach you about mm. who you are. Mm -hmm. And it isn't all just about like sex and romance and dates and overnights. It's literally about who you are how you relate to people, how do you feel safe? When don't you feel safe? Why? Um, and I, I think that's the advice that I would give people. And I know that that is like problematic advice to give. You know, my clients will come in and they'll be struggling with something like this. And I'm like, you each need individual therapists and you need to be going to couples therapy. And you probably should see your primary care physician and see <laughs> if you need some help with the panic attacks. And it's really tempting to be like, well, that's insane. If we have to do all of that right. to do non-monogamy, we shouldn't do non-monogamy. And I'm like, maybe not. Right. It could very well be that the answer for you is that this is not the right way into that self-knowledge or this isn't where we want to go. Um, that was going to be my question is like, would you advise that like, if you decide that you're such a person, like, is it just not for you? But it sounds like that's not what you're That's not what I'm saying. What saying. You know, I have this. Hmm. There's this like phrase I think about like torturing yourself into enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And I think about it because I struggle with it. Like mm -hmm. I have a tendency to be like, what is the most painful thing? What is the scariest thing? What is the hardest thing? All right, let's do a deep dive right into the center of that mm -hmm. and just like inure <laughs> ourselves against it. And that's how I'm going to get enlightened. That's how I'm going to get beyond these feelings that are uncomfortable and I don't like. And that is a strategy. Um, but I think as I learn more about how our minds and bodies work, as I learn more about how relationships work, as I learn more about non-monogamy, I, 
I think more about just being like kind and gentle with difficult feelings that come up. And difficult feelings don't mean this is wrong necessarily. And they don't mean we have to fix them or bail. And they don't mean we have to just like turn the volume up on them as high as we can and just like blow out our entire nervous systems. There are other options here where we recognize that like these things come up for a reason. We can be interested in those reasons. We can seek support from each other around finding out more about them. We can understand that there are ways that we are the same and different. Um, I don't know if that actually answers your question Mm. about what advice I have to people, but that's what comes up for me. I guess in response. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really, really does. Well, and it, it leads me to another question. It just makes me think about, um, or wonder what, what you guys have figured out about, you know, going through this sort of like a, maybe a mini cycle of this, you know, it sounds like you've learned so much about yourself and seeing that there is some of this, like what Alex is seeing on, on Reddit, like you, that it's not, you, you don't read that and think like, gosh, what, what's that all about? It's very relatable. Yeah. That's the word. I'm and you can see for. the same patterns over and over again. It's relatable to like everybody is right. experiencing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, what does it look like for you guys when, when one of you is getting ready to go out? Yeah. I mean, I was going to say like related to everything that you, you said, Sarah, like all of that being true and it being like, well, first of all, like, I think there's a flip side to, or like there are probably many other sides, but like that is sort of one, one sort of region of the feelings around non-monogamy, polyamory. And then there's another region that is kind of like the guilt shame region that's the one that i'm in more although some of the things you describe around abandoned parental abandonment abandonment are also relatable to me but uh you know there's this whole other realm of like feeling like uh you're inflicting those feelings on your partner and or like you know and I haven't explored as much like maybe the source material, but like just like feeling like you're doing something wrong, you know, um, feeling you're forcing like, them to endure this. Yeah. Or feeling like your like desire is gross or shameful. And, you know, there's there's that whole other kind of realm that is kind of maybe the into the yang of what you're mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Um, I think that's a really common dynamic that yeah. people find themselves in. Um, and and it's tempting to think like, well, if I was a good partner and help them feel safe, then this wouldn't be happening to them. I'm doing something Mm. or not doing something that is reinforcing these things. And then when you listen to the community, like hash this out on forums like this, I always think it's like kind of interesting that it will be kind of a push pull of like people, you know, kind of like, kind of like kicking the, the ball over to the other side of the, the net or whatever. And like kind of saying like, no, you know, you need to deal with those feelings or this isn't right for yeah. you. Um, and and I, I, honestly, that tends to be the perspective that wins out, I think, because yes. of the the kind of in-grouping that just happens in non-monogamy communities and just kind of being like, this is okay, what we're doing is right. Yeah. And like, so if you're having hard feelings with it, then like, just deal with them. Um, I, I think that that is a hyper response to the shame-fear mm-hmm. yeah. category of folks yeah. where they're like, I can't deal with anyone saying that this is like causing panic or fear in them and, and it being implied that I have done something to do that. So my quick response is all of those people are fucked up and they have their own shit to deal with. 
And we're just over here, like, being sort of free and happy and evolved. And anybody who, like, makes us feel bad about that or sparks up the shame or the guilt, we're going to get mad at. Right. Yeah, and clearly this is, like, personal for us. I'm going to answer your question a second, no, no. Ago, But one other thing I wanted to say is it's interesting. In one of these responses, somebody said uh, to the person who was, like, when do the panic attacks going away? They said, hmm. uh, setting aside the possibility of some kind of trauma being involved... The panic you're experiencing is likely due to your body telling you that your relationship is in danger. And that just, like, really stuck out for me because I was like, no, I don't think you can just be like, so if, you know, there's this whole other category of, like, some kind of trauma is involved. And then for everybody else, the normal people, <laughs> like, you're, well, you're experiencing a panic. Like, I think trauma is involved probably for pretty much everybody. Yes, mm -hmm. trauma is... I'm so glad that word showed up here yeah. because it also has a lot to teach us about trauma. And when I was talking about attachment, I'm talking about attachment traumas. Um, right. There are also other types of traumas that people have experienced that get activated by exploring non-monogamy. And that also must be handled with care. Yeah. And mm, there's this saying, I'm sure I've said it on this show before, but, and I'll have to look up whose quote this is, trauma happens in relationship. Healing from trauma has to also happen mm -hmm. in relationship. Yeah. And I hear in these like kind of dichotomies the desire to be like, go deal with your shit alone. Right. Come back when you're ready. Yeah. You know? Mm. Um, and that is wrong. Yeah. That is just not, it's not why I am drawn to non-monogamy. I am drawn to non-monogamy because I have these challenges. Yeah. And this is a place where there's the opportunity to heal in relationship from them. And I think that orientation, I feel very um, protective of that orientation. And yeah. it's worth mentioning. Yeah. And I think like that, to, to get like sort of practical about like, what does that look like? I mean, there's a lot of sort of like process and communication, but I think for us over the course of a lot of times, you know, going out on dates, going on trips, going through the, like, the experience of leaving and being alone while the other one was out and having the feelings and then coming back together and, like, experiencing the same pattern. We've, like, developed some sort of, like, rituals or, you know, kind of processes or ways that we found, like, that work for us. Yeah, I mean, starting with maybe the easier side of things or the things that feel like we have figured them out mm -hmm. a little bit more, I would say dating, going right. on dates. Yeah. Like... I s still am, like, more scared if you're going out with somebody new right. than with somebody that who's established. But that has also lessened. Mm -hmm. um, and we've come up with little, like, rituals. Um, before one of us leaves for a date, we usually clean up the kitchen. Mm -hmm. You know? Which I think is just, like, a nice gesture. Mm -hmm. The person who's leaving. The person who's leaving. The yeah. yeah. Um, and as we're leaving, whether we're physically together or not, we usually send each other like a little text that's like, thanks for making this time for me. I love you. I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, we, I think, have a, an established agreement that we kind of roughly know what the other person is doing and for how long. But if that's going to change in a significant way, we'll tell each mm -hmm. other. Um, yeah, so like kind of know what the expectations around communication are mm -hmm. and like those being set up so that you so that they're easy to meet and you can also like kind of exceed them too. like I don't think we're usually like expecting to be in communication like during the date dates, itself, but like it is also easy to like 
send a message when you're in the bathroom or whatever to just yeah. be like, it's going fine. Or especially with new dates to like, just check in. Right. Which and I appreciate. Because sometimes with a new date, you don't know if you're going to be like, and we had one drink and I'm coming home. Right. Or yeah. <laughs> if you're like, I'm having a good time and we're going to go to a second location. Right. For example. Um, and then coming back together, I would agree that that's like still m- more challenging for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, how much do you share about the date itself? Mm-hmm. Um, it's often late at night, you uh-huh. know, like everybody's ready for bed. Some, per- you know, I might already be in bed. You might already be in bed. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? What do you observe works or that we've figured out that works? Yeah, it is definitely hard to know how to navigate that. Like also just with like fatigue mm-hmm. playing a role, like. I am not at my best in like emotional communication when I'm like tired on either end of it. If I'm like about to fall asleep and you come back from a date, I'm just like, I don't know if I want to talk about this or how. I mean, I guess one th- one pattern we've developed is like when it's undetermined because it's like a new or relationship or something, then like sometimes sending an update as we're coming home, like mm. I'm on my way back and, you know, here's like a three word summary of what happened, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of like, it was fun. We might see each other we might again. might see each other again or, or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, or like, you know, what happened? Like we kissed, um, that maybe I think works for us maybe to give the other person like a little bit of time to adjust to yeah. that reality and also not to like have to, um, I don't know, just like having that conversation, with it, some privacy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. What do you mean privacy? Like, are there other people around? Or do you mean... No, just like, you don't have to have your first reaction to it in front of a person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, like, it sounds clearly... It doesn't sound like a really, like, negotiated thing, but I think we figured out over time that that worked pretty well Mm -hmm. for all of these reasons. And then we're kind of like, oh, this is a good way to do it. And we already knew that there was, like, the level of information that we were going to share. You know, some people don't want to share that much information. Some people want to share more or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah. So I think that's one of them. Um, I mean, I do think that it, it is, like, a little bit different. Um... I think for me, when you're the one who's been out and you come back, sometimes it takes me a little while to, like, want to be, like, I do feel a little bit, like, cold at first. And it's, like, not because I'm, like, mad or anything like that, but just, like, um, it just, like, takes a little while to, like, get back into. Intimacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I just want to keep pointing out here is, yeah, getting out of and into intimacy with people is a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not fucking robots, you know, <laughs> who are just we're like fucking robots. We're not fucking robots yeah. yet. Yeah. But <laughs> it's going to be a lot easier when we are. I fully anticipate that yes. by season four, we will be. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. No. And then I'll just be like, no, baby, it's cool. It's just a robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is if, of course, getting into and out of intimacy with people is challenging just like the way for our kids when we've spent a long weekend together and then it's Monday morning and they're going to be apart from us for eight hours. Mm -hmm. 
it's hard for them to like separate from us and yeah. then to come back. Right. And, and that's like, why it's they're normal. Yeah. That's why they're dicks to us when they, we first picked them up from school. Yes. Totally. It's the mm-hmm. same, same. Yeah. And I think what I'm trying to say is like, even under the best of circumstances, if you're not talking about trauma and attachment or attachment trauma, uh, it's still going to be kind of complicated. Yeah. Cause it's just kind of complicated. Yeah. I just like a little aside to like, I was just like thinking about, what it's like to go out on a date, like at a first date or like an early date with somebody when you're monogamous and like, like all of this stuff is hard, but like a tiny shout out of appreciation to like the fact that you have somebody else that you just like get to talk to about that stuff. Like think about how like sort of unmoored you are when you're dating without uh, or like, or I guess way, another way to put it is how your primary partner, if you have one, like provides uh, a like reference point and like a person who you can like ground your feelings with. Like I was saying this morning when we were walking that like sometimes I can just feel like when I'm with a new person, like kind of regardless of how I feel about them, I can just really get like sucked into the kind of like reality mm-hmm. that we create together and I don't even like know like do I like them are we getting along I don't know I'm just like trying to make it work Mm. and like it's I really appreciate like I mean that's part of why I like checking in in the middle of date sometimes because like helping me like remember that you were there Mm -hmm. and like thinking about it and like where I'm gonna go afterwards and like that we're gonna talk about it like that level of sort of like both accountability and also just like the connection back to that world is like I think I would feel very strange without that. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's a nice thing to have. Yeah, I agree. I don't know that I would have known to articulate it Mm -hmm. quite that way, but I know what you're talking about. And I think in a way that's why I am so cautious with Mm -hmm. new people is because I know I have that Mm -hmm. tendency. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't want to lose myself to just anyone. Right. And I don't like the feeling of just being in some other world, creating some other world with someone that I don't trust. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why my pacing is sometimes really different. Right. Because that, that feeling is scary to me. Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed that you do sometimes that is helpful, especially after trips, is <laughs> you'll be like, all right, kids, you can play on your tablets. Mom and I need to reconnect. And we'll go into the bedroom and just like spend 20 minutes like talking and hugging and debriefing a little bit and like talking about what we're going to do next and like just giving some time and space and care to the re-entry, mm-hmm. I guess. And I think that is a ritual that is really yeah. wise. And and maybe even just acknowledging that there might be some coldness. I think you tend towards being like kind of cold when you're uh-huh. reconnecting. I tend towards being a bit of a brat. <laughs> And like Uh being really sensitive, right? Uh Uh, And just knowing like, and there might be like a little bit of acting out in those two direct directions and that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. I want to add to that. I also think that when you're that like reconnecting time, not making it be the debriefing time, you know, Mm. I think the fact that like we usually have a chance to like go for a walk like the next day or something like that. So I wouldn't feel like, okay, I've just came back. And now we're going to like go and spend that time together. And that pressure's on that time for me to tell you the emotional content of everything that happened. Mm -hmm. Right. It's more like 
we know that we're going to have a chance to do that a little bit later mm -hmm. because I think that maybe that's a good piece of advice is like, it's really hard to just like come back and like debrief, unpack emotional content right away. And like, it's good to sort of like try to reconnect first if you can, before you like give some kind of report. I think I, that can feel really hard for me to like, I don't know how I feel about that date. I was just on, like, I just got back. Like, if you want me to sit in the car for 45 minutes and think about it, then maybe I can. But um, I feel like I've kind of said things <laughs> like not that sassily, but in the past, I've kind of been like, I really don't like know what to say right now. Like in the morning, I'll have a different sense of it maybe. And so it's a little bit hard to like, to do that processing right away with the other person. Yeah. I think that's smart. Uh, that maybe there's a reconnecting where you talk about the logistics of what happened. Right. It's sort of like, you know, we went here and there and did this, that, and the other thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're just like, okay, I shared some like yeah. basics about my experience. And, um, and then I think it's important to tell your partner that you're glad to be back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that is sometimes the insecurity that people feel. That maybe, like, you didn't want to come back. Mm. Um, mm hmm People. Uh, so I think that is a good ritual. Yeah. yeah. And then having, like, another time where you're like, maybe we'll talk about the emotional content of this, like, tomorrow or later in the week. Um, I think that's wise. Yeah. And on the front end... Too. I think affirmations are always good. Like, you know, when you're leaving, telling the person that they look good and that the person they're going out with is lucky to be going out with them. And uh, uh, I also so have found, like, gratitude to be a really useful mm -hmm. thing to keep in mind. And I think you've been good at reminding me about that or like introducing that kind of concept that like there's a difference between um saying like thank you for making this time for me to go out and saying um i'm sorry that i'm leaving and taking something away from you and you know? i i do know and i think when we talk about attachment and trauma for folks who maybe feel more of the guilt shame side of this there's likely lies in the sense that any joy or fun or expression that they might experience was taken away from a caregiver. Mm, mm -hmm. huh. uh, and that they had to kind of make themselves apologetic or right. small mm -hmm. to accommodate a caregiver's own struggles or pain or sadness or personalities or... Mm-hmm. Also, sometimes addictions. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> right. Like, if you're happy or joyful, you always have something to apologize for, for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. I think, like, the uh, appreciation <laughs> practice is so important because right. you can also create new positive patterns where you say, like, Thank you for making the time for me to do this. I really enjoyed being yeah. able to, or you don't have to have enjoyed it, but you're enjoyed, you, you had whatever experience you had, good, bad, in between, and you're still accepted back 
and loved. Mm-hmm. And the, the person, even if they struggled, was glad they did it. And I think like that's kind of the positive feedback loop that you want to try and cultivate. But you can see how it requires interrupting some pretty like entrenched fears and dynamics that can, can run really deep. Yeah. Realizing that, especially if you were raised by British people. Well, I didn't say it. You did. <laughs> I can say it. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, there's definitely not a lot of affirmations of joy in no. my, my cultures of origin. No. Yeah. And, like, the idea of the stiff upper lip and, uh-huh. like, you know, keep calm and carry on and uh-huh. all of the just reinforcements that you should never be having any kind of like high or low emotions right. of any kind. <laughs> yeah. You're uh-huh. just like constantly in a flat mm-hmm. line <laughs> and mm-hmm. any, uh, yeah. Any deviation from the any deviation is, from that is dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. Uh huh. Yeah. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Well, it's, a, I know it's all big yikes. It is big yikes. That's but I appreciate that we got here to acknowledge that it's mm-hmm. not just the, people panicking whose feelings have something to teach them about who they are and where they come from Mm -hmm. and who get the opportunity to heal some of those things in relationship. It's also the people experiencing the guilt and shame side of things. Those emotions also have something to teach you about who you are and where you come from and offer an opportunity to heal some of that in relationship. And neither one is the normal one or the healthy one. No. Yeah. And it sounds like in your like practice and your clients, especially with couples, it's like, there's usually one person on one side of that and one person on the yes. other or like, and it's a, a real mixed bag and your individual clients, I'm sure some of them are kind of the one profile and some of them are the other profile. Yes, absolutely. I love that we've created a tidy binary. <laughs> well, and I would say that like this stuff does change from relationship to relationship. Uh-huh. And I wouldn't say that anyone, you know, using myself as the experiment, I don't have this kind of response to every relationship in my life. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. And so it really is different based on the dynamics with the other person. And I, and I want to make sure that people don't feel like stuck or like claustrophobic in. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like we were talking about that this morning and we were talking about like communication when the other person is like away or whatever. And I was like, kind of like, Oh, you know, I feel secure. I'm like, it kind of, it doesn't matter. And then you like referenced me to like another relationship and you were like, Oh, but what about when your other partner is like away with their other partner? Yeah. And then I was like, Oh yeah. Then I feel bad when they don't communicate with me. Yeah. And I was also remembering an earlier relationship you had where you came back from spending the night and like a long day together. And I was like, what's wrong? You seem sad. And you were like, do you ever just feel like you just spent all this time with the person and you're never going to see them again? And I was like, I do with you, (laughs) you know, I didn't say that, (laughs) but it was interesting because I was observing you having some of those feelings in relation to Mm, another person. mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Like you just have just been with the person and then you already missed them. Is that what you mean? Yes. And just, but also being afraid that like you experience like fun or safety or intimacy And now, like, it might just never come back Mm. that you don't have, that you're afraid that it's not consistent or reliable. And so I point this out because 
there's the dynamic that we have or that ignites between the two of us. And I think we've also seen that shift Mm -hmm. and move in interesting ways over time. And there's the dynamic that ignites between you and other people or me and other people. Mm -hmm. So we're not like fixed. There's never anything simple about human beings and their emotions. Um, And there's never any one thing that you could say about a person and their emotions, Mm -hmm. except perhaps that you should pay attention to them Mm. because they matter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whatever they are. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Wow. That seems like as good of a place to end this episode as any. Yeah, it does. Why don't you take us out, Alex? Okay. Thank you so much for listening to mistakes were made uh if you like this podcast please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice um and follow us on instagram our handle is mistakescast uh we are recording this in late october um and we're in the middle of an absolutely devastating and i would add uh entirely preventable humanitarian crisis in gaza um which i think is colored our kind of feelings and emotions during recording this too, even if we weren't talking about it. Um, Absolutely. I don't know where we will be in all of that uh, once this comes out in a few weeks, but I'm sure that it won't have just gone away whether or not we're hearing it in the news. Um, So we're going to put some links in the show notes to um, ways that you can both support uh, humanitarian aid and also um, uh, political influence on our government to try to um, have a positive impact on that crisis. And I would add in the theme of this podcast, stay close to your feelings about it. Mm-hmm. It's an example of something that is, to use your words, absolutely devastating. And the temptation can be to push it away, to ignore how it's impacting you, um, but stay close to those feelings because they matter and they're important. And I think they're part of honoring witnessing something this horrible and nightmarish. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Alex. I love you. you. <laughs>